turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. I wonder if we ever think about how much our sin grieves the heart of God. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. I entitled this message, Wickedness Destroys. Well, as you know, today we're faced with difficult times, to say the least. For even though we have achieved much through science and technology with us and all the things that we've created, like being able to launch satellites into space, and those satellites now can operate the GPS systems on our smartphones. I mean, we can send an email to someone around the globe. It gets to them within seconds. We can board a plane here at LAX, and we can be sitting on another continent within hours. It just proves that we live at a high level here in the 21st century. I mean, think about it. We all drink bottled water. We eat food that's been approved by the health department with strict guidelines. We have power windows in our car and air conditioning. You know, most have the ability to to shower every day with hot water. We have indoor plumbing. Many of these conveniences that we take for granted every day, They were not even available 100 years ago, 75 years ago. We watch sports and movies for entertainment. Before COVID, we could just get away for a weekend at the drop of a hat or a week-long vacation. Yes, we all live in a time that's much different than any other time in all of human history. Yet, with all of our advancements in technology, has it really given us more safety and security? Absolutely not. The heart of man is more insecure right now than ever before. Why do so many nations throughout the history of humanity, why are they so down on Israel? Why is there so much anti-Semitism? Why is that? Does it have anything to do with the God of this world? Satan himself hates the true and living God. And when the true and living God says, this people, these Jewish people are my chosen people. They are the apple of my eye. That's when Satan rises up and says, I will do whatever I can to wipe this people out. Yes, Iran is only tolerant if you completely do as they say. It's just like those that are in charge here in America, many of those on the liberal progressive side. It's like their mindset is they're only tolerant if you agree with them completely. And if you don't agree with the new progressive liberal side, then you'll be turned over to the cancer culture here of social media destruction. We will wipe you out. 
You know, crime, as we see now in our cities, in these liberal-run cities, is coming unglued. Nobody's happy. You go around the globe. People are not happy. Yes, our world is filled with negative news, and nothing seems to shock us anymore. And why is that? Because our hearts are waxing cold, just like Jesus said would happen in the last days. You know, when we look at the last days, Jesus gave us a snapshot of what things would look like. See, he was walking away from the temple mount with his disciples. Now, Jesus seemed to hang out around the Mount of Olives. In fact, at the base of the Mount of Olives at the Kidron Valley is the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Jesus would hang out a lot there also. But one of these days, uh, right before he was crucified, uh, he was walking back to the Mount of Olives, and they got to the top, and the disciples said, oh, look look at the temple. Because it's a beautiful view of the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. And they said, oh, the temple is so beautiful. And Jesus said, not one stone is going to be left without being turned out from the other. Meaning the temple is going to be completely destroyed. And the disciples said, what? When? What is the sign of you coming back? What is the sign going to be? So that's what gives us what we have called the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talked about these are the things that are going to happen before I come back. So when you see these things happen, just know that the coming of the Son of Man is near. Now, one of the things that he talked about in that, let me read it to you. He made a prediction in the midst of all the other predictions. And let me read it to you. Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, Jesus speaking, but of that day and the hour, no one knows. He already gave all these signs. When you see these things happening, know that the Son of Man is going to come. But he says, of the day of the hour, I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour. Because the angels don't know in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Noah, really? We're going to be looking at Noah. Today, it's going to be like the days of Noah was. He says, For as those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were partying, they were marrying, they were given in marriages, they were divorcing, sexual perversion, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wow. It's going to be that day. Everyone's just going to be doing their own thing. Wickedness is going to be out of control. Yes, that time that we're living in right now, it's going to continue to get worse, and it's going to look just like what we're about to read in Noah's day. Things will escalate. It'll be the worst times ever from the existence of humanity. Think about that. Just for a moment, the only time that can rival the wickedness of Noah's time is the time in which we live today. So how bad was Noah's time? Well, we're going to find out here today as we continue in our study through the book of Genesis. As we read, picking up from where we left off last time in chapter 5, we're going into chapter 6. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, because he is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be a 120 years. 
and a Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land and from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. Boy, God had a little buyer's remorse here. Not so stoked on the whole idea of man anymore. This is such a sad commentary on the creation of man. Notice Satan has not been mentioned since back in Genesis chapter 3, where he was tempting Eve with eating of the forbidden fruit. But obviously, that sly little serpent, he's been working overtime on the people made in the image of the creator God. Yes, humanity was created in the likeness of God. Yet, just like today, these people had taken a turn for the worse. And we know from last week that God had spoken to a man, and remember his name was Enoch. He, has, he was such a striking character. We looked at him in detail last week. He was one of only two men in the entire Bible that it says he walked with God. Now, again, I hope you walk with God. I hope I walk with God. But that terminology is only used about two people in the Bible. One of them here was Enoch, but the other one was who we're going to look at today, and his name was Noah. Now, Enoch was also only one of two men that the Bible says he pleased God. Well, I hope you please God. I hope I please God. But that terminology is only used twice. It's used once with Enoch, and it's used again with Jesus himself. And then, of course, Enoch was only one of two men in the entire history of all humanity who went up to heaven without dying. Only two people were actually born out of a woman that never physically died a physical death. One of them was Enoch because he was taken away by God. Remember it said Enoch walked with God and then he was not. Because God took him. And the other, of course, was Elijah. And Elijah the prophet was taken up in a whirlwind. Well, last time, we gleaned from this man named Enoch. This man who had personally walked with God. This man who personally was well-pleasing to God. This man who was personally snatched away from the earth by God himself. We learned about his great conversion when he came to this crossroad in his life at the age of 65. And what was that crossroad that he came to? Well, it was the birth of his son, and he named him Methuselah. Now, God must have spoke to Enoch on the day that that boy was born because he was telling him about the wickedness around him, which was getting worse and worse, as we have just read here in Genesis chapter 6. But let us not forget, God is outside of time. So hundreds of years prior here, he was speaking to Enoch, and he was telling them about all the things that were going to happen and how much more wicked man was going to get. So with God being outside of time, the future is history to him. 
See, we don't know what's going to happen 20 minutes from now or an hour from now. You know, we can kind of figure, well, church will be over and I'll go home or what have you, but we don't know what's going to happen, but God does. Again, outside of time, he's already seen everything yet when it hasn't happened yet. We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15, it says, that which has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has already passed by. He already knows. Yes, God knows everything before it happens. God has given to Enoch a promise, and it was a prophecy for the future. And it was wrapped up in Enoch's son, Methuselah, and it was embedded within his very name. When he dies, it will come. What will come? Judgment will come. And that's exactly what was going to happen. God knew that what we had just read here in Genesis chapter 6 was going to happen where man would get so wicked that God was going to destroy the earth. God knew that man would turn evil and that he would embrace wickedness. Enoch became a proclaimer of righteousness. He moved many to embrace God in his lifetime. Yet there were many who choose not to follow the Lord. And as you know, Methuselah became the grandfather to Noah. And now we see that as Noah becomes a husband and a father, that he embraced his godly upbringing that was passed down from his great-grandfather Enoch to Methuselah to his dad Lamech. But here we are now hundreds of years after God had taken his great-great-grandfather Enoch away to heaven. And the people of Noah's day have compromised their calling. We were all created in the image of God to bring glory to him. But these people compromised that calling. They had compromised their relationship with God. Listen, if you have a heart that's beating, you have lungs that are breathing, it's because God has allowed you to be alive. We are created by him and for him. But these people compromised that by abandoning their privileged position of being created in his image. Don't forget, we're created a little higher than the angels, the Bible says, and we're given the great opportunity to have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Yet instead of embracing this high calling, the people in Noah's day embraced and allowed their sinful passions to rule over their lives. We also have a couple very odd and strange things going on here. Did you notice in our text? Did you catch them as we read the first part of chapter 6? We were told in Genesis 6-2 that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. So who are these sons of God? who had sexual relations with the daughters of men who were beautiful. Well, there seems to be a little debate over this. In fact, I don't know why sometimes people come in and they try to read all kinds of stuff into this, and there's people that go off on all kinds of crazy doctrines with this and everything. But let's just take a couple look-sees here at you know, what men say who these people are, okay? This term, sons of God, in other parts of the Bible are referring 
to angels. Like in Job chapter one, verse six, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Now you remember Satan, he was the star of the morning. He was a, an angel. In fact, he was the most beautiful angel, but yes, he was a created being and he was an angel. So he was a son of God as it's used in this terminology, an angel. He was a fallen angel, but yet he had to come and present himself to God. Yet, of course, in the New Testament though, we are called the sons of God, like in Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, many Bible theologians, including John MacArthur, believe these here to be fallen angels. For the Bible tells us that one third of the angels fell when Satan fell from heaven, when Satan attempted his ill-fated mutiny. We're also taught in the Bible that angels have the ability to take on the appearance of human beings. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some of you have entertained angels without knowing it. So God did allow, it looks like, these fallen angels to have the appearance of men. God allowed that to happen. Now, I don't know you know, about what is what with this whole thing here. And besides this portion of scripture, there's nowhere else that this type of scenario takes place. Now, there's other Bible scholars that'll take this beginning of Genesis here, and they'll say, well, this is the godly line of people through Seth that were intermarrying with the ungodly line of Cain. Now, there's a little bit of merit to this. If this union produced the Nephilim, though, in verse 4, those were giants, yet some would say they didn't produce the giants. But as we all know, there were giants, right? Even later on, it was recorded after the flood. Like, remember David and Goliath? Goliath was a nine-foot-six giant. But whether they were angels or the godly line of Seth that was compromising their bloodline, we don't have enough info on it. So it just makes us embrace what we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Because sometimes you just don't have enough information. Now, some people get infatuated with this. Pastor, who do you think these people were? What do you think is going on there? What, you know, and they just put all this thought into it. Hey, look, I don't know. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, meaning we don't have all the facts right now, you know, but one day we're going to see the Lord face to face. I know in part now, but one day I will know fully because I will be in the front of the one who fully knows me. So one day, you know, we're going to be in heaven and we'll know exactly, but there's certain things in the Bible that look, we just don't have enough information on, you know, these, these are what's called non-essentials. Like, I don't care who these people were. It's like, it's a non-essential. But there is other things in the Bible that are very essential. And we can't be half read on them. We can't be half understanding them. We have to know that we know. Like, Jesus was the God-man in the flesh. And he came to the earth to die for the sin of all humanity. That is an essential, okay? He was born of a virgin. 
That's important because that's how the Bible proclaimed it to be. That's an essential. He lived a sinless life. That's another essential. He died on the cross. He was buried in a grave and he rose again from the dead. Those are all essentials. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only savior and he's the only way to have our sin forgiven. Those are all essentials of our faith. But whether these are fallen angels or descendants of Cain, that's a non-essential to our faith. But know this, when we get to heaven, we can ask Jesus. He knows the correct answer. We'll find out then. But for me, if you're asking me here today, for me, I think these were fallen angels. I think these were fallen angels that came down and they had sexual relations with women and there were some kind of a hybrid people that came out and these people corrupted the whole world even worse because they were fallen angels. They were wicked angels. And the reason that I say this, there's a reference in the New Testament that I think points right to that being a fact and true. Second Peter 2, 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, Okay, these are the angels after they got booted out of heaven, the ones that went with Satan on the mutiny, he, but he cast them into hell. Not all of the fallen angels are in hell. Remember the people that were demon-possessed in Jesus' time? What about the man in the Gadarenes that had all those demons inside of him? Remember when they, when they saw Jesus come to them, they said, Hey, hey, we're sorry. Hey, don't send us to the judgment places. Don't send us to hell. Send us into the swine. And Jesus says, Okay, go into the swine. And see, that's the first time in recorded history that the Bible declares that there is deviled ham. But anyway, whatever. Okay, so they went into the swine. But see, those angels were still roaming the earth, you know, messing people's lives up and what have you. But these angels here in Second Peter 2, 4, he says they sinned and he cast them directly into hell and he committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah. See, it's all in the same context of Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So do you see how he takes those fallen angels, sends them right to the pit of hell, and it's all in the context of Noah. So again, it makes it sound like the population was corrupted even more from this interaction and union of angels dressing up like men and marrying beautiful women and having sex with them. And that helped bring on the judgment that would befall men in the beginning. But one thing for sure, God wasn't happy with the wickedness of man's sin here in Genesis chapter 6. We're told in verse 3 that God said he would not continue to strive with men and said men would have just 120 years and judgment would happen. Notice how the Bible says in verse 6 that God was sorry that he made man. He goes on to say that it grieved his heart. Yes, man has displeased God. It hurt God. I wonder if we ever think about how much our sin grieves the heart of God. I mean, forget the consequences that we have, right? Because the reap what you sow is always going to happen. Hey, man, you rip people off, you're going to get ripped off. You know, if you lie and cheat, you're going to get lied and cheated to. You know, it's just what happens. You know, you're going to reap what you sow. But forget about that for a second, how much it's going to cost you. Have you really thought, have you considered the pain that it costs our God when we sin against him? 
Well, of course, we go back to him. Oh, God, forgive me. And we ask him to clean up our mess and all those things. And, well, God's commitment to us is much greater than our commitment to him. And he usually does that. And he cleans up our messes. But know this. We can all grieve and we can all break the heart of God when we willingly, as believers, disobey and sin against him. That's why we're exhorted in Ephesians 4.30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Plus, we must understand when we do sin, God takes no pleasure in having to discipline us. God's up there with a big two by four. Oh, you get out of line. I'm going to take you to the woodshed. I'm going to take you out. You know, God takes no pleasure in disciplining us because of our sin. Yes, the heart of God is always to get his people to repent. Can you repent? Why? Because God loves us. He wants to be compassionate to us. He wants to forgive us. But if we don't repent, then we're going to get crushed. People say, well, how can God send someone to hell? Excuse me? God sends no one to hell. People send themselves there when they refuse to come to the love of God. When they refuse to repent. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 